0: Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is Reset. Coming up later, we'll talk to a photographer documenting folks during the stay-at-home order.
1: I start shouting to people from the street if they happen to be out on their stoop and ask them if I can photograph them right then in the moment.
0: But first, the Cook County Jail has been called a petri dish by one member of the Cook County Sheriff's staff. Hundreds of detainees, guards, and staff at the jail have contracted COVID-19. Jails and prisons across the nation have found themselves in equally dire straits, unable to prevent the spread of the virus with cases and sadly deaths continuing to grow. WBEZ criminal justice reporter Shannon Haffernan spoke with 12 people at Cook County Jail to find out what life has been like there during the COVID-19 pandemic. And she joins me now. Shannon, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for having me. This is a huge facility. Describe the county jail for us. How big is it? Who's detained there and why?
2: So Cook County Jail is on Chicago's southwest side. It's it's huge. It's a sprawling facility across 96 acres. Um, right now there's over 4,000 people who are detained inside the jail. That's actually a fairly no- low number to what it's been historically. As of just March 1st, it was 5,600 people. Um, most everybody there is there pre-trial. That means they've not been convicted of a crime. They're accused of a crime. And waiting to go to trial. The population at Cook County Jail is largely uh, black and brown and largely poor. So when you talk about this being a public health issue, you're also talking about it being a uh, racial equity issue.
0: When did you first start to notice that there might be a problem at the county jail?
2: Well, a lot of people who are advocates in the criminal justice realm began ringing the alarm bells as soon as we knew COVID-19 was in the United States, before it even got to the jail. That's because we know that congregate settings are really dangerous places to be during a pandemic. As you mentioned, people are in really close quarters. They often don't have great access to sanitation supplies like hand sanitizer and soap. And also the population in our jails and our prisons tends to have more illnesses that might make them particularly vulnerable to COVID-19. So I think it was pretty immediately clear once we knew COVID-19 was going to be an issue in the United States, that it was going to be a particular issue inside jails and prisons across the United States. And we've seen that not only here, but, but, but everywhere.
0: Who did you speak to for this story?
2: So we spoke to a mix of people. Um, we talked to people who are incarcerated inside the jail. One woman we spoke to was named Kiana Ford. She was in the jail and she's pregnant, um, pre-trial, and she was absolutely terrified. She was on an area in the, in part of the jail where uh, people are, are receiving medical treatment. So she was there with other folks who had different kinds of vulnerabilities. One thing we didn't mention in our story, but I think is important to point out, is Keanu Ford has a son. He's uh, 13, 14 years old. And because she was in jail, he was having to go from house to house with family members or friends during a pandemic. So when you talk about people being incarcerated inside the jail, being exposed to COVID-19, you also want to think about how their incarceration is affecting people outside the jail and how that might expose them to COVID-19. So she, she was terrified not only for herself, but for her son, who was moving around to these different houses at a time when, we sh- when people should have been socially isolating. We also spoke to healthcare staff at Sturger Hospital, where people are sent when their cases become serious, uh, a nurse there. And we spoke to correctional officers.
0: Well, one of the compelling figures you introduce readers and listeners to is David Evans III. Who is he? And how has his life changed due to this pandemic?
2: So he's a correctional officer and a lead union steward at Cook County Jail. He talked about how a lot of correctional officers are working major overtime. We're talking about 16-hour shifts day after day. There's a couple of reasons for that. When the pandemic hit, Cook County uh, Sheriff Tom Dart opened up parts of the jail that had previously been Closed to make room for social distancing and quarantining, but that meant there was more staff needed to staff those areas of the jail. And that happened at the exact same time that you had people getting really sick and needing to call off work. Uh, about 300 correctional officers have tested positive. So with both those things happening, you had the need for more staff and people were called in from other parts of the sheriff's office and asked to work these really long shifts.
0: Well, at one point, he said to you, and I'll quote him here, my phone doesn't stop ringing. These officers call me all night with concerns, and I want to talk to everyone. There will be times when I'm talking until three o'clock in the morning. What were you able to learn about the conversations he's having with union members?
2: So the concern I mentioned about overtime was big for a lot of people. He said, uh, in addition to just being a regular strain, Working those long hours um, can have an effect on your immune system. And so a lot of correctional officers were concerned about that. They were also worried about not having access to proper PPE, protective gear, that would protect them from the virus while they're going into one of the biggest hotspots in the United States. And um, they also talked about sanitation supplies, which we mentioned earlier. With correctional officers, a lot of them were concerned that they would be going home after their shifts to their families. So some of the people we spoke to talked about how they were uh, living in their basements, sleeping in their basements to make sure they keep their families safe. Similar accounts to what you've heard from nurses and doctors who are working in emergency rooms.
0: Well, there's been conflicting information about whether staff at the jail have adequate personal protective equipment and and whether detainees have had access to enough soap and hand sanitizer. What do you know?
2: Cook County Sheriff Tom Dart has insisted that he's been on top of it, that he's from day one uh, been uh, on top of handling issues of access to soap and hand sanitizer and protective gear. He points to early efforts that he made to move people into single cells, Uh, But you hear a really conflicting report from both people who are detained and working inside the jail. They say, while there has been soap and hand sanitizer and masks, the availability of that hasn't been consistent. It hasn't been easily accessible to everyone all the time. And while the sheriff may have put some people in cells alone, single-selling, there were also still people who were kept in dorm settings. So these areas of the jail where you have beds packed really close together a judge heard a lawsuit over this and praised some of the sheriff's actions, but has also ordered the sheriff to take more actions, including improving social distancing measures and improving access to sanitation.
0: Shannon, you mentioned a few of the people you spoke to for this story. Are there other stories that that stand out to you?
2: I think one story that really sticks out to me is we spoke to Elizabeth Lawless. She a nurse at uh, Cook County Stroger Hospital, and the unit where she works has is now entirely serving people from Cook County Jail who've tested positive for COVID-19. And I think this illustrates a couple of points. I think when people think about jails and prisons, we like to think of them as separate from us, as segregated from society. But the truth is, when we're talking about public health emergencies and a contagious disease... If there's an outbreak inside a jail or a prison, that's going to spill over into the community because you have staff members going home, as I mentioned, but also because you have people going to hospitals like Stroger Hospital. And um, and, and what this nurse talked about is how that's taking and using Valuable resources. Her union, National Nurses United, has actually called for the jail to release more people because they say that affects them as healthcare workers because they're having to keep up with the outbreak inside the jail.
0: Well, last month we spoke with Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox about the steps her office was taking to reduce the population of the jail. Let's take a listen. We began working in earnest, starting on March 12th, looking and reviewing folks who should come before the courts. Ultimately, the public defender filed a motion in which Judge Evans ruled that they could do mass reviews of detainees. And we've been participating in in that. So for the last almost four weeks, our attorneys have been working around the clock reviewing bonds of those who have been at the jail, agreeing in cases where we believe people should be released, and in those cases where we disagree, having those cases heard before a judge. Now, tell us more about this strategy, Shannon, because some people have praised it. Some have said it wasn't a strong enough move and that more detainees should have been released from the jail.
2: Right. So... um at the beginning of March, as I mentioned, there were about 5,600 people beside the jail, inside the jail. That number is down by about 1,500. That's in part because of these bail reviews, but it's also because fewer people are being arrested and sent to the jail. Despite those bail reviews, you do have a lot of criminal justice advocates saying it didn't go nearly far enough. They filed a lawsuit to try to force immediate mass releases a federal judge declined to do those mass releases but did as I mentioned order uh, the sheriff to take better measures to protect people who are inside the jail one thing that recently caught my eye is in a court filing in that lawsuit Sheriff Tom Dart said that the jail is bracing itself because we're coming into the summer months which historically in Chicago have meant more crime and more arrest and a larger jail population. So the social distancing measures that they have been able to take at the jail, those might become harder as we move into these summer months, especially if you don't see an uptick in people being released on bail um, or some other measure to keep that popula- the size of that population in
0: check. Well, you have, as you said, the National Nurses uh, Union, calling for all nonviolent offenders in the Cook County Jail to be released. Could we see something like that actually happen?
2: Well, I think that there is some resistance to that. And that lawsuit that I mentioned, um, Chicago filed a, uh, a document saying that they were concerned about public safety. You've also seen recent backlash against uh, bail organizations um, who've tried to bail people out. But I also think that as this virus continues to spread, you hear people increasingly talking about how uh, jails and prisons are hot spots that we need to pay attention to, not only for the safety of the people inside, but for uh, protecting the resources and the people around those areas.
0: I know from you that it is very difficult to get information about what's happening um, inside Cook County Jail and in prisons. What's next in your reporting on this story?
2: Well, I think we're going to be looking at how that lawsuit continues to unfold. We're also keeping um, our eyes on what's happening at the Illinois Department of Corrections. So those are the state facilities where there's also been outbreaks. And I think one thing we're going to be paying attention to there is the um, level of testing. How often are people actually being tested inside those facilities? And is it keeping up with the spread of the virus?
0: And and is this moment shifting the conversation around incarceration and, and how we utilize prisons and jails at a national level, do you think?
2: Yeah, for sure. I think that you've seen really big conversations about mass releases, not only here, but other places. And I'm not sure if that's a conversation you would have seen happen so easily six months ago or a year ago. We're in a moment of criminal justice reform, but I think in terms of people talking about what's possible, that that has, uh, that conversation has really expanded as COVID-19
0: has spread. That's WBEZ criminal justice reporter Shannon Heffernan sharing her reporting on the situation at the Cook County Jail on Chicago's southwest side, where hundreds of detainees, guards and staff have contracted COVID-19. Shannon, thanks a lot. Thank you so much. For the last six weeks, Jasmine Shaw has spent most days going on long walks and bike rides in and around the Logan Square neighborhood. Not to fight cabin fever, but to take portraits of people at their homes while keeping a safe distance. Shaw is a photographer, and this has been her way of connecting with others and documenting these times we're living in. Here now to discuss her project, Quarantine Portraits, is Jasmine Shaw. Jasmine, welcome to the program.
1: Hi, Jen. Thanks for having me. Uh, you're the first person I've spoken to today because it's rainy and I haven't headed out.
0: <laughs> well, it's good to hear your voice. We're happy yeah. to have you. What yeah. What has this pandemic been like for you as a photographer? And what are you hearing from from your f- peers in the photography world? Uh, I'm a
1: documentary photographer, and I always want to photograph people. That's, that's who inspires me. And so that's definitely a lot harder right now. Um, I've had all my shoots cancel for basically the foreseeable future. And same with um, my colleagues. And I think we're all just trying to find ways to keep doing what we do. And for me, that was doing and is doing the quarantine photos.
0: Hmm. Well, you moved away from Chicago last summer to become nomadic. You had to return to the city in March because of the pandemic. And right around the time of Illinois stay at home order went into effect. What has that transition been like for you?
1: I decided to become nomadic nine months before a global pandemic hit, which was poor timing, but I did get some good traveling in. And um, I came back because Chicago is and will always be my home. So I just couldn't imagine anywhere else to to kind of ride this out. And I have friends that are letting me stay at their place while they're uh, in Michigan City, which is lovely. So on the first morning of the shelter in place order, I went for a walk and, you know, it was like, empty streets and while it was you know great to photograph and interesting that doesn't doesn't do it for me so I um I just wanted to photograph people and then a friend mentioned quarantine portraits as an idea that he'd seen someone else do and I immediately just started texting people and first started just like literally on the on my block and then have now expanded out and out and yeah, it just, it makes me happy to go out and interact with people, even, you know, from a faraway distance, but I think it's the best that I can do.
0: What was the initial response when you, when you reached out to folks and said, Hey, can I, can I take a portrait of you? Can I take a portrait of your family? I mean, I don't know about anybody else, but I've been in leggings and sweatshirts for the last yeah. what, seven weeks now. So the idea of someone taking a photograph of me is like, I don't know, but yeah, yeah.
1: It has been a a wide range of like, do you really want to see what we look like right now? Or, um, you know, and then I had someone who asked if she could dress up and it was a snowy Wednesday morning at 1030 in the morning and I got to her place and I had said, sure, you can dress up. And she was in like a ball gown and it was wonderful. It was so fun. And, and it, you know, it just made me smile. And I think that photo, you know, I think people needed to see it. And then I also really appreciate when people just come to the door as is. So some of the photos that I've been doing, it started off with people I know, and, you know, that I could text and ask and set up actual times. And then now it's kind of morphed into this, where I just walk around and then, you know, maybe on my way to a setup shoot, or just the other day, I went to my accountant and brought my camera on this long walk. And I, I start shouting to people from the street if they happen to be out on their stoop and ask them if I can photograph them right then in the moment. And uh, last Tuesday, there was this woman and she said, but I'm in my bare feet and my pajama pants. And I was like, but you look so happy and lovely. And I, and I photographed her and it's, that is, I mean, all of the photos have become you know favorites, but that is a favorite that woman had been living at her in her house in Lakeview since 1956. She was 89, and just it was like a 15 minutes of this connection with someone. I would have never just shouted to someone and talked to a stranger like that. And so this is giving me that opportunity to do it.
0: Now, some of the photos you you capture people like outside, um, sitting mm-hmm. on their their stoop and in other photos you're capturing them through a window it's a moment within a moment when i was looking at those photos it's like it it struck me as as it's almost a picture within a picture and, and yeah. is that different for you
1: i love the through the window ones it's it's challenging um <laughs> to with reflections and such but those are really fun it's i have to it's kind of like this challenge of being able to see through um, and those feel a little bit more like I'm kind of catching a quiet moment, which Mm. um, I really enjoy because that's what I normally would do be doing on the inside um, when I'm documenting for a client or for myself or for a project I'm working on. I'm usually uh, in the background telling people to ignore me and I will just photograph what is happening. That's a little harder when people are, coming out onto their stoop to do this shoot, but the window ones I mean these are all with permission, obviously. Uh, right. So right. but I, I tell them to just kind of, you know, do their thing and then I if I if it's a window that works, then I kind of hang out and
0: photograph. No, Jasmine, at this point you photographed dozens of households in Logan Square, Wicker Park, Ukrainian village and West Town. Has this project helped you see the city any differently?
1: I'd been in Chicago for 17 years. um, So I, I'd always kind of known it, but I think it's, it's helping, you know, I moved away for a little bit and um, it's helping me reconnect to it because, you know, I'm going to be here again now for a (laughs) while. And I am starting to get out to see some other um, neighborhoods with my bike. I've gotten down to Lawndale and up to Jefferson park. And I hope as it gets warmer and, maybe we can move around a little bit more. Um, I can continue this and get to the further
0: reaches um, because I do love the city. (laughs) What's the most meaningful part about a project like this?
1: The interactions with the people. It's all about the connections for me. Um, The photos were kind of, you know, it's what I do. But for me, like I walk away and I'm excited about the photo, but I'm just excited about having talk to someone and you know I find that the people have been excited as well about planning something in their day and then also the the strangers that I've met and just getting to talk and they can I'll listen to their story sometimes we get to talk a little a lot and sometimes it's just like a short um intro but everyone I think I hope it's mutually
0: beneficial um it
1: definitely means a lot to
0: me to be able to interact Is there a conversation that has really stayed with you? I think the woman,
1: Tina, from last Tuesday, um, we didn't really talk about anything in particular. We didn't really talk about the pandemic. We just kind of talked about life in a short 15-minute, you know, kind of shouting and then waiting for the train to pass occasionally and... (laughs) You know, but her laugh was infectious and I just felt really lucky again that I got to talk to someone I would have never kind of encountered in my normal life. So I think the camera is like my superpower. I feel really bold when I'm carrying it and I can go up and talk to people, whereas when I'm not, I am a little quieter. So um, I, I just enjoy that part.
0: What do you want people to take away from this project?
1: hoping that people can just kind of get a window into, you know, a literal or not, a window into people's lives in this because we're all kind of separated. And since I do have the ability to walk around and document, I hope people can see. And I I have friends all over the world and I feel like they're also enjoying it to see what the version of this is for Chicago. And so, you know, other cities can also see what it looks like. And then even small things like the architecture of the city is starting to show and um, the people, it's it's just, I just want to document this time.
0: That's freelance photographer Jasmine Shaw. And you can see some of her quarantine portraits on her website at jasmineshaw.com. That's J-A-S-M-I-N-S-H-E ah.com or keep up with the project on Instagram at Jasmine Shaw photo. We'll also tweet out that information at WBEZ reset. Jasmine, thanks so much for speaking with us. Thank you for having me. Before we go today, WBEZ is trying to raise $400,000 in a very short amount of time to pay for the news, the stories and the shows like reset that you rely on every day. Here's just a little bit of what we've brought you over the last six weeks.
1: As you can see from the graphs that are next to me, Illinois is now looking at a peak or plateau of deaths per day somewhere between late April
0: and early May. Meanwhile, public health officials around the world are encouraging people to avoid large public events, crowds, and unnecessary interactions, a practice sometimes called social distancing. There's also evidence of transmission from mild or
1: asymptomatic cases, so you can have people who are infected, but they don't know that they're infected and they're out in the public, and that is also contributing to the virus being spread.
0: And we also want to hear from you. Do you have a question about how the novel coronavirus spreads or what you need to do to protect yourself and others from the virus. Give us a call at 312-923-WBEZ. You want to be outside. You want to be enjoying a lot of great things in the city, but now it's just not the time for that. We've got to stay diligent, stay the course on staying home to save lives. They are working in the time of a crisis and they are also humans in need of relief and the world is not over. The world is not over. About half
1: of the COVID-19 deaths are of Black residents, but they only make up 23% 23% of the population.
0: This little light of mine, I'm gonna From hard facts to beautiful voices, that's just a little taste of the coronavirus coverage we've provided over the last six weeks. To keep this important coverage going for years to come, please go to wbez.org, click the Donate Now button at the top of the page, and give what you can. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and thanks for supporting WBEZ, and let's talk again soon.